because uh, sometimes you encounter something that you weren't expecting both in surgery and with making a guitar and you got to really think out of the box like how am i getting how am i going to work around this situation how am i going to make this situation um better what kind of you know uh tricks do i have up my sleeve that is dr richard schlank a neurosurgeon at the world-renowned Cleveland Clinic here in Northeast Ohio. He's talking about the parallels of doing neurosurgery and building a custom guitar. That's been a passion of his, something he has followed for the last several years. And he picked the whole concept up from scratch, learned it on his own. He shapes, molds, creates custom guitars, and then he just gives them away. He only asks that the recipient does something charitable to someone else, giving it back, moving forward in that regard. Dr. Schlenk is also an endurance athlete, having run 100-mile ultramarathons, 50-milers. He survived and competed in grueling obstacle course races and much, much more. He is also a race director, the Doan Creek Trail Run, a passion of his, and the forgotten urban trail runs with a, you guessed it, charitable component as part of the whole concept. The concept is running forward and giving back. That is something he is partnering along with Northeast Ohio ultramarathon running legend, Wild Bill Wagner. Dr. Schlenk and I chatted in his garage, the garage workshop that he spends time in when he is not at the Cleveland Clinic and of course, enjoying the partnership with his beautiful bride and his family. We'll get to that conversation, but first, since 2015, the Cooper Foundation has been helping children and young adults with special needs. Sometimes you just need a helping hand. Next, Dr. Richard Schlenk. Rich, can I draw a parallel to making a guitar and neurosurgery, or am I being somewhat facetious, even attempting that kind of a question to no, start I, off? I, I, I get that question quite often. You know, people want to know, um, especially my patients now who've seen articles about uh, me making guitars, they want to know like, hey, how does this impact you? Is Are there any parallels? And mm -hmm. I think there are some. So um, the par parallels here is that there's, there's, there's really very, uh, often in surgery, there's no room for error, you know? We're riding a fine line between really helping somebody and hurting them. And so there's gotta be a, a precision in what we do. There's gotta be, you know, you gotta really think things out in advance. It's not just having good hands, it's being able to understand, uh, you know, someone's anatomy and, you know, what your limitations are, what their limitations are. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and you got to be able to execute in a precise manner. And there's, you know, if you hurt somebody, there's no going back. Um, so with uh, with guitar making, there's like there's a lot of similarities in that there's there's a lot of planning involved. There's uh, a lot of precision and, and and execution. And there's also, you know, there's no room for error. You can make a, a guitar that looks like a beautiful guitar, but it's got to play beautifully. It's got to sound great. It's got to feel right in the in the guitar player's hands. And there are nuances 
that make uh, that um, so. And there are a lot of nuances in surgery as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, 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 and I think there's a lot of problem solving in both, which I really, okay, which I was going to throw that in there. That seems like it would be the big component, you know, because, uh, sometimes you encounter something that you weren't expecting both in surgery and with making a guitar. And you got to really think out of the box, like, how am I going to, how am I going to work around this situation? How am I going to make this situation, um, better? What kind of, you know, uh, tricks do I have up my sleeve to make this work out right? And, uh, you know, and that comes with experience. So early on in guitar making, I didn't, I don't, I didn't have a lot of that. Now I have a lot more of that and I have a lot, thank, thank, thank goodness. I'm a, I'm a much better surgeon than I am a guitar maker because I have a boatload of those in surgery. Thankfully. So was it always, uh, going to be, uh, uh, being a surgeon? For you in your formative years? No, when I was a young man, I I was, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, I didn't even know I wanted to go into medicine until I was about 22 years old. And then I got into medicine sort of, um, you know, uh, late. I I, I spent an extra two years in undergraduate to try to get my uh, stuff in order for medical school. And I finally was able to do that. Okay. When I was a medical student, it wasn't until we got clinical experience where I realized I really like doing things with my hands and I really like the tangible aspects of surgery. And that seemed like a good fit for me. And then, so, um, I, 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 you know, aligned my future directions towards being a, a surgeon from there. And was there a lot of trial and error in that as opposed to a conjunctive with like this type of an operation, trial and error in the sense that, you know, when you're studying to, to, to learn, you know, the right ways to do procedures in the OR? Well, you know, uh, there's really not a lot of room for trial and error in surgery, you know, cause there's mm-hmm. not, maybe really... I meant in like preparation for it. Yeah. Yeah. Not... So I think that that's absolutely true. So I think, you know, there are a lot of early mis- mistakes that we make and this is why the surgical training process is such a can be such a long process. I spent eight years in training after medical school, so before I was let loose upon the world to do what I do, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but uh, you know, it was an evolutionary process to me to get to a point where I, I wanted to uh, decided to be a surgeon. I, it was more a process of elimination, you know. There were certain things that I, I didn't didn't seem to be a good fit for me as I was going through them in medical school. And then the surgery aspect seemed like this was a good fit for me. It was a bit daunting for me to, to get my hands around what it would take to be a surgeon. Hmm. And I didn't, I didn't know if I wanted to work that hard. Uh, but you know, I, I, you know, decided that it was a worth, it was worthwhile. So, and then getting to neurosurgery was even different because I was, a, I, I, I was at first a categorical general surgery resident. And uh, after getting exposure only then to neurosurgery did I realize, man, I missed the boat here. I wish I knew about this when I was a medical student. And then I just happened to be the right place at the right time because there was um, there was an open position in the in, the, in, in neurosurgery training where I was a nurse, where I was a general surgery resident. And they asked me to jump ship. And I did. So what appealed to you then? What, oh, what made you want to really lean into that hard into that? 
So first of all, the, 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 the patients are very challenging. And, and I, I, always, I always liked the neurological system, uh, the, the logic behind it, the intricacy, the complexity of it, and to be able to evaluate a patient with a neurological problem and be able to problem solve there and try to come up with sort of like a, an idea of where could this problem be coming from? You know, someone has weakness in this part of their leg, could it be coming from the nerve in their leg? a disc herniation in the back? Could it be a tumor in the thoracic spine? Could it be a tumor sitting on top of the brain? And just based on physical examination, you could be able to, without imaging, be able to kind of have a pretty good idea where this okay. is coming from. And that kind of that kind of problem solving and uh, really appealed to me. And uh, and then the technical aspects of, uh, of, of, of neurosurgery are just, uh, you know, they're really appealing because we have, uh, you know, the the, and not only do we have like beautiful, beautiful technology and advanced tools to be able to help people, but the one thing that was ne- has never been lost to me is, is, is how beautiful the neurological system is to behold in, in real life. As a student, I just saw like the cadaver brains and cadaver, and okay. they're kind of lifeless and gray. But the first time I saw the brain and I saw that it beats with every beat of the heart and, 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 and it looks like a, like a, like a jewel. I, I thought, wow, this is, I, I, you know, this is, this is something that's just magical and uh, I want to be part of this. And you wanted to be part of it to further discern ways to help people, further discern, uh, just to learn as much about this incredible thing we all have I, you know, I, in I, our bodies. I, you know, the, yes. And, and so the, 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 uh, the, the neurological neurosurgery part of it was, uh, you know, was, you know, uh, it was something I was late to, to gravitate towards. Some, some people have an epiphany when they're in high school, they want to be a neurosurgeon, not yeah. me. Um, but I'll tell you, it's like my, my upbringing is that I, neither one of my parents went to college and none of my grandparents went to college, but they all instilled upon me like the sense that I had a purpose. Like I needed, to, I, it was my responsibility to do something really good with my life for others and and this was my way of doing that you know and uh you know to be able to to be able to make a difference in other people's lives while you know you're um uh, also stimulating yourself intellectually uh is just a tremendous privilege and and what i do you know i i it's not lost on me on any day that i work that it, it is it is just an absolute privilege for a patient to come to see me to trust me uh, to be able to uh, to look inside them and to make a difference in their lives, like who gets to do this? A very small percentage of people who walk this earth get to do this, and and uh, I just uh, you know I'm still sort of uh, humbled that that is uh, something that I get to do, you know. Well, Rich, it also looks like it, it appears to me that it's much more than a singular pursuit when you're in the OR. I mean we. You're the surgeon, surgeon, but there's a there's a team that's working with you. But here making guitars, it's just you. Uh, when you're out running an ultra marathon, it's pretty much just you. You have a crew helping you. But how important is that team? How how yeah. uh, comforting is having some of the the best in the business to be working alongside of you and when that, you're that, doing that, surgery? I'm glad you brought that up because uh, uh, surgery is is it is not a solitary yeah. uh, sport. You know, it is. Uh, you're only we're only as good as our um, as the weakest link in the operating room, and in the operating room, uh, you know, especially where I work at the Cleveland Clinic, we just have a, an, just such an awesome team 
of support nurses, of anesthesiologists, of uh, nurse practitioners, uh, physician assistants, trainees, fellows, residents who are who are just uh, who elevate my game and elevate everything that we do. And uh, you know we 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 uh, you know we when we go about things we 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 do things in a very safe manner. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have an opportunity to you know. There's there's quite a bit of levity sometimes in the operating room, which we, when it's when it's appropriate, you know. But we, uh, we we love each other, you know. We have each other's backs, and surgery is it it really is a team sport, you know, without any shadow of a doubt. Kind of a, a you know the the business I'm coming from television, you know, you see the person on the air, and and but there's just so much that goes on behind the scenes. Uh, from what you actually get a chance to see up on the surface. And, and I think medically speaking, um, that's as prevalent of a situation that you could ever find. I mean, not only do you have to have the best team, but you all have to kind of make the right decisions uh, because of the consequences on the other side. Yeah, and, and, uh, and we have to perform under dire circumstances sometimes, under the highest levels of stresses. And, and uh and, and that's really when the team shines, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so um, I talked about levity, but there's more seriousness than there is anything else. We take what we do so, um, you know, uh, so so seriously that, uh, you know, um, we know what's at stake every time we have somebody in our hands, you know? And so, but it's a... It's a it's a wonderful thing thing to be part of uh, a member of a team. I I don't feel lonely at all ever, you know. I also have wonderful partners. So if I have a if I have an issue or uh, in the operating room in particular, you know, I could call upon any number of my partners with uh, equal or more experience sometimes to come help me out, you know. And we do that all the time. Uh-huh. And so there's, uh, you know, there really there's a spirit of collaboration where I work that doesn't exist anywhere else. I believe, you know, that is what truly makes what we do at the Cleveland Clinic really special. It's the collaborative uh, environment in which we all function together. So how do the other parts of your life kind of help balance your, as I mentioned before, you've run ultra uh, marathons, you've done a lot of obstacle course racing, and then you have this custom uh, uh, charity guitar uh, a business, I wouldn't call it a business, uh, endeavor <laughs> that, that helps people, uh, raises money for charity. How did you get into that in the first place? Uh, you know, so I think I, I got into uh, guitar making um, when I was after playing guitar for a few years. Uh, so my son and my son sort of prompted me to play guitar. My son's a musician, and when I was in my mid 40s, said, "Dad, why don't you do something?" And I did. I needed an electric guitar, and we just happened to have a, a an older electric guitar that wasn't working, and I took it apart, and. I had no idea how to put together. I had no idea how a guitar even worked. So I did an internet deep dive and uh, figured out how to modify a guitar. And I, you know, I just was, um, I was just so excited about it. And when that project was over, I was just so disappointed that it was over. I wanted more. And uh, I had seen like some videos on how to build guitars and as uh, I was mentioning uh, earlier uh, to you, um, uh, you know, other than the fact I have I had no tools, no woodworking skills, no space, <laughs> no knowledge how to make guitars, well, you know, why not, you know? So, <laughs> and so I made my first guitar, it took me six months, and it's a nice, handsome looking guitar, not the best playing guitar, but after that, I was really, really in, I was done. 
uh, you know, and then I moved my space up to this larger space that we're in right now, my garage shop, and uh, started to accumulate more and more tools, more and more knowledge. And, you know, now four plus years later, I'm on my, um, you know, I'm, you know, I just finished my 38th guitar build from scratch and uh, I'm working on five more at the same time right now. And it's, it's wonderful because I, it's, it, it's also, because my, my job is so heavy, you know, meaning that it, it, there, you know, doesn't Huge consequences. Always, it doesn't always go well. And there are lots, there's lots of pressure and, and uh, I need something, you know, kind of equally as, um, as extreme almost to balance that aspect of my life. That's where ultra running came from, yeah. I believe. And, you know, and as I slowed down as an ultra runner, because I'm getting older, the guitar stuff is really kind of uh, not completely surplanted running, but it is, uh, it, now this is the big thing that I do outside of work. It's, it challenges you the most. Right. Nope. And uh, what's different about this is it is a solitary um, um, endeavor. Um, but there's also a lot of solace in that. And there's a, there's a lot of times that I'm thinking about my, you know, I spend probably 10 times thinking about my project more so than I actually doing, do it. So okay. I'm always kind of trying to work out the next solution for the next project. And, and now I've gotten to the point where I could, I could tackle more than one project at the same time. So you're juggling a couple right now, like right. I said, you, you, over my, be, behind me or four piece, five pieces of wood that will become guitars. Correct. And over your shoulder is your first one. Is there, you have a nickname for that baby? No, or? I don't. <laughs> I don't have it. It's just, it's just the original and it's rough. You know, I think if any guitar player picked it up, they would, they would uh, just sort of smirk and just ask for another guitar quickly, but it's a handsome looking guitar and I learned a lot from it. There's also, which you can't see in this, uh, 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 you're not gonna be able to see in this, podcast is there there's there's also guitars that litter this shop that are dead guitars guitars (laughs) that i started that just didn't work out uh mistakes that i made and most of those were within the first year and a half to two years i i haven't put a guitar on the wall in a while you know uh you know what? I, call, I call it the guitar wall of shame. So just to remind <laughs> me, keep me humble. It keeps you humble. But so what's it going to take to put another one on the the wall? First of all, difficult to do because you're giving it away. That's the whole essence of what you're doing. You're giving these away or they're being auctioned off for charity. A, a few of them have been, been auctioned. But for the most part, what I what I do is I just connect with uh, with an interested uh, player. Okay. And who knows that, uh, you know, that you know, especially early on that I'm, I'm, I'm new to this and, uh, you know, but that we're going to create a guitar for them, uh, you know, their dream guitar. And, uh, and in turn, I don't receive anything like, so they don't have to pay me anything for it. Uh, you know, no, nothing for the parts, nothing for anything, anything. And I just ask in return that when they receive the guitar, that, uh, they give something in, uh, that's commensurate with that, to pay forward to the local Cleveland community. Okay. And uh, I think the last year we raised over twenty-five thousand dollars for the guitars. But there's been many guitars I've I've given to people who have no resources whatsoever, and I just ask them just do something, just do something that you wouldn't have done otherwise. It doesn't have to be a financial donation. And okay. a lot a lot of my younger people that I've given guitars to have been that where I I know they don't have any money. And uh, guitar is not a cheap thing. Here. It's it's and and especially you know the uh, a lot of uh, you know the woods that I use now are are they're 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 very exotic 
um, very beautifully figured woods. I can't paint at all. So the guitar wood has to speak for itself. So I, 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 I scour the country, really the world for some of the nicest wood that I could find. And then, cause this is not stuff that you get at, at the local hardware store, you know? And, uh, but at the end, uh, my hope is that, uh, you know, that I'll impart some, somebody to do something kind that they wouldn't have done otherwise, either a charitable donation or something, you know, volunteer their time to, you know, to a local community organization that needs some hands doing things. So, yeah. And so they derive some satisfaction knowing that the world's a little bit bigger than the sphere that they happen to inhabit so and I'm, look to help others. Uh, sorry, John, but everybody wins. Like you know, the the person who mm -hmm. they, they receive a really nice guitar, uh, they get to feel good about doing something good for others, and I get to feel good because I get to make a guitar, mm -hmm. uh, and I get to gift it to somebody, which is unbelievably magical. I get to see like something that a pile of wood that I've made, uh, morph into an instrument that can be played beautifully, and there's nothing that I can think of in the rest of my, uh, you know, even surgery doesn't, you know, I can't, I can't create life. All right. I can preserve life. You can preserve life, make here, it better here in the shop. I can make life. I could actually, and this is, I, I know it sounds like Frankenstein, <laughs> right? But you should uh, <laughs> see this evil look on this man's face. But, no. but, but just to be able to hear somebody play, uh, the musical instrument and how they respond to it is just, uh, uh there's not a feeling that I could, that I can compare that to, not even like finish the finish line in an ultra. Well, yeah. And so, um, you know, and so it's every, everybody wins. I probably win the most, you know? And, uh, and so I really enjoy this aspect of myself. I have no idea where any of this is going. I'm just going to keep going with this as long as, um, you know, continue to be passionate about it. What is that feeling when you do give one of these away? Is it tough oh. to describe? I mean, most recently, did you not give a guitar to a gentleman who had a, a climbing accident or a climbing yeah, uh, situation? So that's a great story. So yeah, I gave that guitar on Saturday. So this was a this was a gentleman uh, who uh, sports athlete who uh, decided that he was going to climb Mount Denali the year before last. So he, I think he probably pushed the summit. Uh, more than I'm not a mountaineer, but he he summited and uh, when he probably should have turned back on the way down, he got severe frostbite on his right hand and the, and some of the tips of his fingers on his left, and he lost all four fingers, all not his thumb, but mid finger on the on all fingers on the right hand, tip of his index finger on the left, and he uh, he was in the shop on Saturday and he told me, uh, boy, I wish I recorded it. I'll just. I'll do my best to tell you what he said. He said, when I was coming down from that mountain, all I could think about was I, I that I had really messed my hands up badly. I, I, I didn't know how badly at the time. Wow. And music has been such an important thing to me. All I could think about is I'm never going to be able to play guitar again. And uh, when I came down from the mountain and learned I had frostbite on, on my fingers and I would lose it, I definitely felt like I lost part of myself. And so it was his cousin who actually commissioned the guitar for him. Okay. I never met this guy before. So, his so the cousin, cousin knew of what you were doing. Yeah, he and... lives two blocks from here. Oh, okay. Great okay. guitarist. And uh, so he came to the shop one day and told me the story and said, hey, can we do something for him? I said, yeah, wow. definitely. And so he said, when I heard that there was a guitar being made for me, he says, it gave me hope. And then when my fingers, you know, eventually my fingers had to fall off 
and I began to rehab from that, all I could, you know, what really gave, what really inspired me was knowing that I had, you know, I, I, I wanted to be able to play guitar. So he came here and he sat here and he played, he's a, with, with his disability, he is still a beautiful guitar player. And everybody was sitting here, his wow. cousin, myself, we were just crying listening to him play. On, I'm getting on, chills listening on, to you talk on, about on, it. On, on Saturday. Um, and it was, uh, you know, like, where are you going to, in life, like, where are you going to find an experience like that? And, you know, uh, you know, I, I, it, it, just, it was really special. And other guitars that are given away, maybe they don't have such a, such a, such a, like a, a heartwarming story but each one has been greeted with you know such you know ear to ear smiles and thank you and 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 people have asked me how could you that's a great guitar why would you you must kill you to give that guitar away and my response is no no i, I cannot wait to give that guitar away yeah you know? all right for the, the not just the feeling that it gives you but you know that it's going to bring some joy it's, to somebody else who who then can maybe bring joy to someone down the line the whole pay it forward type, type right? Thing. And 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 for me, that's what makes me stronger. That's what makes me like being able to have this aspect of my life. You know, I am a better doctor for it because I'm 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 a better perspective of life myself. I'm not all wrapped up on everything I'm doing at work when I leave work. I'm a better. I think I'm a better father and uh, and and husband. You know, and my shop is like right next. I mean, it's attached to my house, so I'm not. It's not a hobby that that detaches me from them physically. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I could work in here for half an hour and go back in the house and I can chip away at it. And uh, so it's a great hobby for my, uh, you know, that my family tolerates. <laughs> tolerates is a good way of putting it. My wife is the best. She really tolerates. Especially she had no shivers when I met her standing here in the woodshop. She was fine. <laughs> she she functioned normally. She, I didn't no, notice a twitch or anything. <laughs> well, you should see when she opens up the Annex bill. Oh, know, I with, could imagine. With the guitar stuff. But yeah, she, but you get those points, Rich. You know, you know, all those points on the card. Yeah, she, she's great about it. And she, I think she also derives pleasure out of the fact that this is the way that our family gives back to our community too. So this is not just me, you know, these are resources that our family has, you know, financial resources that I'm putting into this, but yep. also time and effort and, um, and, you know, and I think everybody, um, everybody, I think it resonates with the family. Well, you enjoyed the sport of ultra racing. We've, uh, you know, crossed paths. I remember starting a 50 at the same time with you. It was the back 50 of the uh, Burning River and uh, you, of course, you crushed me on it, but that was to be expected. But we've, you know, we've we've run the same trails. We've experienced some of the great highs. We've experienced some of the disappointments of not being successful, whatever that uh, designation means to each of us. But yet we're in a great sports community, the ultra running community. And you're a big part of it because you are a race director in your own small way, probably you're thinking. But You've run events where the essence of being involved is you got to be involved. You have to do things to help the community in order to run in your races. How is uh, how did that germ, uh, little seed rather, come to fruition for you? All right. So I, um, you're talking about all my favorite things to talk about. So so I started. I I was also late to running. So I, I started running in 2011, and um, you know as as the listeners can probably tell, I can't do anything small. So, you know, if I'm going to be a doctor, well, go home, surgeon, my man. if I'm yeah. going to make one yeah. guitar, I'm going to make 40. If yeah. I'm going to run one mile, I'm going to run a hundred. Yeah, you're I not just, wrapping ankles, dude. You, you're, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I, I just don't know. Like I, you know, I, my volume level only goes up high. So I started running and, uh, what I found like was because I'm, I'm busy trying to fit in miles during the week. I decided like, it just sort of, it just sort of hit me that I, I got to run back and forth to work because, cause, uh, I'm only like five miles from Cleveland clinic. clinic where I work. And, uh, you know, I'll get me, I can just, uh, you know, knock out two birds in one stone, and that is to commute yep. and get my exercise in. So, <laughs> where I'm going with this is that between here and the Cleveland Clinic is this, uh, like, it's this ravine that's sandwiched between these two suburban People streets. have no idea it's there. They don't know it's there. It's uh, the, the Donebrook Ravine, and it's sort of, uh, the Donebrook runs between, uh, you know, probably really starts in Beechwood and runs down, but... Uh, the the shaker lakes all are components of the dome brook but then it runs into this uh undeveloped natural ravine that basically runs to goes three blocks to my, from my work so i discovered this and i was just blown away because i had lived here for 10 years and drove past this and didn't realize how beautiful it was in there so so I would, I was so excited about it. I ran there like every day back and forth to work. Like I would hardly ever drive to work. And then my running friends, we all uh, would comment how hard it is in here. I mean, it is rocky, yeah. rooted and beautiful. It's very technical. Yeah. Break and, your, yeah. Stub your toe and down you go. <laughs> and so, you know, so in our, in our talks, it would be like, we should have an ultra down here. I'm like, well, no, who's going to run here? So the, I had the idea. I'm going to I'm just going to do it. So I, I, put, I hosted uh, um, the Don't Creek Trail Race uh, first in 2015. And, uh, you know, I decided I'm not going to charge anything for this. And then uh, and then the next year, I, um, you know, through word of mouth, people got really excited about this because it's really different. It's kind of a cool underground race. It you was. Know, like, yeah, under the. Uh, yep. It's an urban trail race. Urban basically. trail race. Yeah. And uh, and, you know, and, you know, they're going through tunnels and they're and it's Graffiti. also beautiful. It's, yep. Yeah. Right. It's, so uh, the next year I had more than 100 people signed up for this thing. And then I decided, you know, well, we should just do something good with this and raise some money for charity. OK. And then, uh, then that ball really started, and uh, we ran that race for five years. We easily made like sixty thousand dollars for local charities for for the Don Creek. And through that, um, you know, with my collaboration with uh, Bill Wagner, yep. who's done, Wild Bill, who's well had, known in the community, well who, known, right? Who's done a who's who's been a race director of other free races. We decided that we were gonna co-found uh, Bill's a, badass. Yep. Uh, well, our running organization called Running Forward Giving Back. And so it's a 501c3, and now we've had, uh, you know, the our, the Canal Corridor is a 100-mile race that's under that race organization. And I, I the although the Don Creek Trail Race doesn't exist anymore because the trail has run into disarray, and I don't think I could uh, responsibly host a race there anymore, I still direct a race in Forest Hill Park yeah. that benefits that park. And, uh, you know, we've raised probably $20,000 in, in the last uh, couple of years for that race. And we host it again on May 13th. And anybody interested is willing. It's free race with strings attached. you got to give back. Yeah. And uh, But uh, it's also pretty – it's a urban trail race that's kind of got the same um, – really cool vibe that uh that small don't creek trail race uh had and i and 
it was actually around that time, you know, where I started making guitars and because we were doing the charity stuff there, that's where I started to think, well, why don't I just turn the guitar stuff into charity? So that's how that really, I think, okay. I think the charitable stuff and the guitar stuff really had its origins in the running race stuff. It began with your feet, my man. You're right. <laughs> it always starts with our feet. How do you how do you run a, other than uh, people joking with us? I don't even drive a hundred miles. We all heard that one. Uh, how do you run a hundred miles? Just start with the first step, right? Yeah, it is. It's a uh, it's a suffer fest. <laughs> it's 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 wonderful until it isn't. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know what's what's really amazing about the ultra running community is everybody suffers and every not everybody finishes, but. You know, so soon we forget how horrible it was. We want to sign up for the next one, you know? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I, I crashed and burned doing the Burning River 50 last uh, fall or late, late summer. And I remember having coffee the next morning with Mike Schaefer, a good friend of mine. Just shared some miles with him this morning. And we swore off running any race of that ilk until like two days later when we texted each other and said, you know, I'm yeah. thinking of doing such and such next year. You, so. you know, you know what I learned early was not tell my wife that I'm done because <laughs> yeah. she always remember, like, I thought you told me you were done with these races. <laughs> well, maybe I shouldn't speak so soon after the race, you know, in <laughs> my fault is that I, I have, my bride is my crew chief and I've had her like, I've been out in the middle of the Black Hills trying to run a hundred miles. And there is this little petite five foot blonde, you know, my eyes and ears with very little cell phone coverage. I mean, how stupid am I to, you know, ask her to do that type of stuff. But yet in our running community, people happily will pitch in to you know, make, sure, make sure your experience is a good one. Yeah, everybody is, a, it's, it's the most supportive uh, recreational activity, uh, sporting activity that I know that adults can do. I, 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 you know, bowling isn't like this and, you know, neither is, uh, you know, weekend ax throwing or cornhole, you know, <laughs> dart throwing, <laughs> you know, so I, and I don't even quite honestly, I don't even think like triathlon, triathlon, uh, uh, run, uh, you know, uh, athletes, uh, get this experience, nor do I think road runners. It's it's really a it's really a trail running community and we have uh, I didn't even realize this when I moved to Northeast Ohio how beautiful uh, the trail the the the, yep. the outdoor scene is here I mean you you you're not looking at your windows seeing mountains here but you just drive very short distances and you are in a magical place yep. and uh, and too numerous to count places to run and there's so many people here in Northeast Ohio who have caught that bug. And they all kind of seemingly have the same, uh, you know, the supportive vibe and uh, just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still involved in the trail running community. Um, and I, I can't give that up, even if I can't run 100 miles anymore. Yeah. You can uh, make a lot of magic here in your shop and in the uh, operating room. Uh, much continued success to you. Thank you, John. Thank you very much to Dr. Schlenk for that outstanding chat in the workshop at his home on the city's east side. He truly is one of the bright lights, a very positive force that we have right here in Cleveland, Ohio. By the way, during the pandemic, he ran for 24 hours in his neighborhood to raise money for charity and, of course, always brings a creative, a fun and an outstanding angle of community involvement to each and every project that he 
is involved in. On a personal note, folks, this was the 70th podcast that I have done. We did 50 of these episodes from February of 2019 to March of 2020. At that time, I suspended the podcast because of the pandemic. And then I came back with it in my retirement year, year number one. I started it about five or six months ago and have tacked on 20 episodes. And of course, these are stories of inspiring people like Dr. Schlenk I want to be able to tell you about and hope you in turn have the opportunity to enjoy the uh, episodes and pass them along and hope you check out as many of the episodes in our archives as possible. I'd love to hear suggestions. JRTelich at yahoo.com. That is lowercase jrtelich at yahoo.com. I thank you very much for listening and look forward to the next time around on Telich Talks.